Bible with me, turn, uh, turn to the book of Acts, chapter 17. We want to look at verses 1 through 15. Now, I want you to pay attention to the title, Paul Travels to Greece, but first more ministries, more trials of ministry. I, I, I call it a ministry because it's part of our lives. And so Paul is going through these trials. You're going to see the fifth city now that literally he's been chased out of, beaten. Now he escapes sometimes, but yet the people that are there have to pay the price. So technically, Paul and Silas are still in Macedonia, but the Holy Spirit is preparing them for Greece. Basically, Acts chapter 17 is all about Greece once we pass these two cities. The gospel will continue in the midst of the trials. But it's not without trial. It's not without hardship. We were so busy this weekend, and a major trial hit our family. A lot of you know it, but some of you don't. My cousin Gilbert, we grew up together. He's about five, six years younger than I. Good family man, loves the Lord. He's been uh, with Calvary Chapel for many, many, many years. In fact, he was probably there before I was. And so he had a simple flu. Most of you know the flu's going around. Everybody has it. And shake, shake it off within a week or so. Well, this thing lingered on him. And so speaking about trials, and all of a sudden, uh, he's just not feeling well on Friday morning. And he had... Missed one day of work, and Friday was his day off. And so his wife's making lunch for him. He says, I'm going to go outside in the backyard, catch some air. And he goes out there. They have a little shelf, and they have their garden area. And he's gone for about 30 minutes. She's wondering what happened. She goes out there, and he's just staring into space. She calls him, Gil. He doesn't respond. She shakes him. He doesn't respond. And finally, 911, they shipped him to the hospital. And they did a battery of tests. And they, for two days, they could not find out what was wrong with him. And then finally, yesterday, they determined uh, that a virus, because of the flu, had gone into his brain and basically shut him down. He couldn't speak. He couldn't hear. It was devastating. Everybody thought aneurysm. Everybody thought stroke. Everybody thought heart attack. And, uh, you know, the rumor were just everywhere. And his wife was frantic. But he went home yesterday. God touched him. God healed him. Whatever that virus was. And so this morning we speak about trials again. Paul's still on the move. They're coming into Greece. There'll be about 2,000 uh, 500 miles in from Jerusalem now. And yet, it's not without trial. I, I, you need to turn here before we go into our text. Turn with me to the book of James and go to chapter 1. And leave a marker there in Acts chapter 17. There's trials here in our ministry. Uh, we have a, a couple that is literally li living right now in Arizona and thank God his job, he's able to transfer. And so Carlos is working out of Arizona. But his wife Norma is going daily for eight weeks for chemotherapy, radiation therapy. And in the midst of that, their daughter Jessica is one of the girls that is at the halfway house trying to uh, kick her, 
uh, addiction of heroin. These are the things that happen in our families, in our friends, in our loved ones, in the church family. There are so many in our, our church that have cancer. But I want you to see what James has to say about trials. And so James chapter 1, I just want to look at the first four verses. James is writing to the church scattered in persecution. James is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. And he begins with his small greetings to the 12 tribes. James, a bondservant, and a bondservant is a bond slave, And that means you're a bondservant to Christ by choice. He says, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. And then he says, greetings to you. And the trials were part of their life. In verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, I want you to underline the word patience. I want you to remember the word patience because that's the key to any trial. God is doing something in and through you. He allows these things to happen in my life and in your life, even though I don't understand it. Even though I say, Lord, why me? And yet the trials, Paul went through the beatings. Silas went through the beatings. Our brothers and sisters right now in the Middle East are going through not only beatings, not only the persecution, but many are being martyred. Knowing that the testing of your faith, and so we're tested through these trials. Notice that it produces patience. But let patience, and he brings it back, have its perfect or complete work, that you may be perfect or complete, and being completed, lacking nothing. Trials are good for me. Trials are good for you. I don't like them, but God is doing a work in me. Uh, The word patience. As we're going through trials, the word patience in the Greek translates pretty, uh, pretty hard when you think about it. Uh, through the trial and through the patience in that trial, he's building stamina. That's the translation. He's building strength. He's building endurance. He's building character in my life, character in your life. And all of this endurance and all of this strengthening, it's your faith. It's your faith that God's building uh, through the trial. After 30-plus years of ministry, I can, I can honestly tell you that I'm getting used to the trial, and yet here they come again. It's not easy, church. It's tough. Yesterday, I get a call, also a gentleman uh, that has been in hospice. He passed away, and now i got to go see them after the services and prepare a funeral service. So you have a a blessing with a wedding, and and then you have a funeral service. Trials are part of our life. I want you to mark this down, and then we're going to go into the book of Acts, chapter 17. In 1 Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 13, if anybody understood the trials, Paul did, because of the ministry, that it was so harsh for him. But he writes this concerning addressing a trial. No temptation, he says in verse 13. The word is trial or testing or proven. No temptation has overtaken you except, and listen to this, such as common to man. What you go through, what I go through, others are going through it also. When somebody passes away in, in a family member, 
and it's a hardship, it's a pain, maybe it's, it was a car crash, maybe it was an industrial accident, maybe they were too young to die yet. Middle age, we're accustomed to seeing the elderly, and yet God is working that in my life. And so you turn around later, you're able to share with others what you went through. The testing, the temptations, the trials. But notice that it says, he says, such is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted the trials beyond what you're able to take, what you're able to endure. But with the trial, listen, with the temptation, he also makes a way of escape. You see, bottom line, God knows what you can handle. God knows what you can handle. And here's another bottom line. Sometimes it's a harsher treatment over here in that trial. Sometimes it's over here. It's almost like a tornado. It just might skip a house, might skip a whole block. But trust me, you're going to go through a trial. And so we're going to come to the fifth city that Paul has faced trials. And they couldn't find Paul at Thessalonica, so they, uh, the house church, which Jason was in charge of, they beat him and others. Trials. So let's go to Acts chapter 17, and let's begin here. Paul is now in Thessalonica, about 45 miles that uh, they've gone from uh, Philippi. In verse 1, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Now, remember, we've been sharing when there are at least 10 or more Jews in a city, uh, they would establish uh, a synagogue. And then Thessalonica was a major seaport right here in Macedonia. The city was named after the wife of Cassander. Uh, he was the king of Macedon at one time. Uh, he was one of the generals under Alexander the Great. And so Paul and Silas, and here's another question, they just go by these two cities, Amphipolis and Apollonia. But he had this whole concept, I'm stopping in Thessalonica, and he ministers there. And he ministers there. Uh, these other cities were not that big. Maybe they would eventually get ministered to by the saints now uh, here in Thessalonica. But watch what takes place here in verse 2. Uh, then Paul, as his custom was, went to them after three Sabbath days. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. Usually Paul spent a good ample time, even up to a couple of years in, in various cities. But I find it intriguing that only 10, uh, it takes 10 men of the Jewish faith to have a synagogue. And so Paul makes a beeline there, but he spends three Sabbath times. So three-week period. Short time, but a church is established. Paul was accustomed when he would come into a city uh, to attend worship at the local synagogue and to preach the gospel to his countrymen. Salvation to the Jews first. But notice that it says here, he reasoned with them. 
the word to reason, he had discourse with them, he debated with them, he dialogued with them, and attempts to prove that Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, is this Messiah. It's not an easy task. You and I can understand it. You and I can grasp it. But I want you to think of the Jewish mind. You see, they were waiting for a Messiah that would come and rid them of the power of Rome. But the Messiah came to die on the cross to give them life, life eternal. In the second coming of Christ, he will set up his kingdom age. And so a lot of the Jews did not receive it. The Greek is saying to make public address of the statement. That's what Paul did in the synagogue. Paul loved boldness. And yet it brought on beatings. It brought, it brought on trials. It brought on sometimes imprisonment. But notice what Paul was sharing there at the synagogue in verse 3. Explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer, rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. The word is Christos in the Greek. The anointed one. The promised one. The Messiah. The Jews would know that terminology. Now what Paul is doing here in the synagogue is what I have done for the last 30 plus years. And that is to explain the gospel message. It literally means to... Uh, Open the word of God, listen to me, in clarity, in simplicity, and in truth. If you can't understand the word of God, what good is it? And that's why you hear the term, well, I tried to read the Bible, and I don't understand it. I agree with you. First of all, I'll tell you, are you reading King James? And they'll say, yes. I said, please, do me a favor, get out of King James. Get yourself a text that you're comfortable with. Now, you'll notice I'll, I'll bring forth translations from the Greek or from the Hebrew. And I try to give a commentary on each verse, trying to make it understandable to the mind, to the heart, to the soul. In simplicity. And now, Paul was a very learned man, but Paul brought the gospel in simplicity. And what was the simplicity here? Jesus is the Christos. He's the anointed one. He's the Messiah that was prophesied by the prophets. Now, it's interesting. Isaiah speaks of his birth. Isaiah speaks of his death. They should have known these things. And yet so many of them did not understand. It's no doubt in my mind that Paul was proving to them Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection. He is the Messiah. Now, some of the Jews, some of the Sanhedrin, uh, they came to saving grace, but not uh, many. There was always tumults and such. Now, listen to verse 4. And some of them were persuaded, not everybody, but some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude, listen to this, it speaks about religious or pious Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, they joined up with Paul and Silas. So among the hearers there, some were persuaded, some were not. But there was a good response from many. In fact, a great multitude that were the religious Greeks, but also many prominent Jewish women 
not just a few of these women. By all accounts, the work was a success in the Holy Spirit there at Thessalonica. The Greek is saying a great multitude believed, not just a few. Now at this time, Paul's in the traveling circuit. I want to give you a little bit of homework because it just fits into the teaching. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, Paul thanks them later. The church at Philippi took care of Paul's needs. And so Paul would come to the synagogues, Paul would come to the various cities, and he never took up an offering. He never accepted an offering. But God put it in the hearts of the Philippians to take care of Paul, take care of Silas, take care of Timothy, take care of the ministry needs, and that's the body of Christ. Paul received financial support. Now, they just finished preaching at Thessalonica. I mean, it's a beautiful picture. Three weeks he was there. He has to leave. There's believers at Thessalonica. We come into verse 5 now through verse 9. There's an assault there at Jason's house. You have to understand, they didn't have the churches as we have today. They didn't have a building as we have a building. But many times they met in church homes. And a lot of pastors are sharing today that's a strong possibility if things continue to go downhill in our country concerning Christianity. They might shut us down. They might push the laws. We might have anarchy. But the gospel continues. You can have underground churches. They do it in China. They do it in other foreign countries. And so it's nothing new. Could it be that we're going to revert back to here in the book of Acts? They were having home churches, and now they're most likely there was a home church here at Jason's house. Listen to what happens in verse 5. But, uh, but the Jews who were not persuaded, we knew that some of them didn't hear it or heard it but didn't want it, they became envious. They took some of the evil men from the marketplace. Misery loves company, right? They took evil men from the marketplace, gathering a mob together, and set all the city in an uproar, not just the group, but the whole city in an uproar, and they attacked the house of Jason, and they sought to bring them out of the people, to the people, so they could judge them. Now, if you're taking notes, back in Acts uh, chapter 13, the same scenario took place at Pisidia of Antioch. Back in Acts chapter 14, uh, it happened to two cities in, in Acts chapter 14, in, in Iconium and in Lystra. Uh, again, judgments that came because of the gospel. All this in Paul's first missionary journey. And so here at Thessalonica, Paul was opposed by the mob, incited by envious men, people among the Jews there, trials. Tribulation, hardship, and pain. But Paul was not there. Interesting take in verse 5. These men attacked the house of Jason. Jason was the Christian there at Thessalonica, whose most likely his home was the, the church, the meeting place. And when these men from the marketplace did not find Paul and Silas, they attacked. 
Jason himself, plus others that were there. And so be careful when you hang around with people like Paul, people like Silas. You're, you could be guilty by association. Paul's not here, but they're going to take business on them. Notice the accusation against Jason. Uh, in verse 7, Jason had harbored them. That's what they were saying. They harbored them. But let's go back up to verse 6. But when they did not find them, they couldn't find Paul, they couldn't find Silas, and so they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world, listen to this, upside down, have come here also. Interesting that they said they've turned the world upside down. In all reality, before we came to Christ, we were upside down. We were going the wrong way. God turns us around right side up. That's what the gospel does. Did Jason get word of the plan of attack of, upon Paul and Silas? Was there a warning that he knew of? We have no idea. Uh, was it the Holy Spirit told Jason, get Paul and Silas out of here? We don't know. But for whatever reason, Paul and Silas were not there. And, and so they dragged out Jason and some of the others there at the church house. And they took them to the rulers of the city. And again, here's the accusation. These men turned the city upside down. And, and literally, <laughs> the city was already upside down in sin. The gospel, the word of God, when it penetrates the heart, when it convicts the heart, it can easily turn a city, listen to me, right side up. I was going backwards in life. You were going backwards in life. Drugs, alcohol, sexual perversion, lying, cheating, mention all the sins. We're going backwards and then Christ picks us up and straightens us out. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, if a man, if a woman is in Christ Jesus, he or she now is a new creation. I love that we have three ladies from our church that's never been done. Three ladies that are at the house of Esther right now. That program is very successful because it's all about Christ. And it's not easy when they go in there. And a lot of times, some of the women that are there, some of the men that are in the house of Jeremiah, when it's time for them to leave, and they do leave, and then they get back into the world. They get sucked back in. Uh, the proverb says it's like a pig that goes back to the miry pit. It's like a dog that goes back to its vomit. And so they come back to the house of Esther, and they come back to the house of Jeremiah, and Pastor Mark is gracious. He says, stay as long as you want. Because they can't make it outside. It's tough. And so God wants to give us a changed life. Some of you have experienced that changed life. This is the men there at Jason's house. They've come to saving grace, and the others can't handle it. They're not upside down. They're right side up now for Christ. And so now they argue the fact in verse 7, and they said, Jason has harbored them, hid them. And these are all acting contrary, uh, and so they bring in Caesar. Contrary, 
of the laws of Caesar or the decrees of Caesar saying there is another king and his name is Jesus. Jason, I believe, took Paul and Silas in and he hid them, protected them. I believe he's being instructed by the Holy Spirit. But they accused Paul and Silas of committing sedition, ignoring and acting contrary to the laws, to the decree of Caesar. Bottom line, here is the sedition. They were saying another king than Caesar. It's Christ. Now, it's interesting to me that the accusations came because when they asked Jesus about paying taxes, what did he respond? Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. If you don't believe me, try it. Stop paying taxes. And when the IRS comes after you, tell them, I'm a Christian. I don't pay to the government. I don't think it's going to go off very well. In fact, we might be visiting you in Doniana County. The accusations, what was going on, at the house of Jason. Look at verse 8 now. First the accusation that you harbored them. And you're coming against the laws of Caesar. In verse 8. And they troubled the crowd. And the rulers of the city. Which they heard these things. The Greek says they agitated. They stirred up the crowd. And when the rulers heard these lies. But it was truth. Paul was speaking truth. Paul was speaking truth. It's believed by scholars here what's taking place in verses 7 and 8 was the beginning of strong Roman rule. And we know, according to the history, many, many Christians died at the hands of Nero, at the hands of the Caesar. So, Jason and company are incarcerated, taken in, uh, but they're going to be released, but they have to pay a fine. Watch this. In verse 9, so they had taken security. It's called payola, basically, uh, from Jason and the rest, and they let them go. So Jason and company uh, taken before the rulers of the city. These are all false lies against them, accusations against them, but they find them. That's the word uh, taken security from them. It was a law term uh, to post bail for your actions. Did nothing. You see, eventually, you have to deny Christ and say that Caesar is Lord. What's happening in the Middle East today? You have to deny Christ and allegiance to Allah. It's nothing new, church. It's happening right before our very eyes. What are we going to do? When they come in and they say, denounce, or you're going to come with us. It's a decision that I've thought of. It's a decision that you have to think of. When they come to you at your house and they say, did you go to Calvary Chapel? Were you sitting under Pastor Bob's uh, uh, teaching? Let me think about that. You see, it, it affects everybody. So after... The trial now with Jason and company, Paul and Silas take off and they go about 45 miles further. Down the line, they go to this little 
we don't know anything about Berea. It was very insignificant, but Paul went there, and he ministers the gospel. Interesting that the trials uh, don't tear you down, but the trials prepare you for more. Paul couldn't wait. In fact, I'm surprised that Paul left the Thessalonica, but Jason most likely convinced him, you got to go, man. And you got to go because the gospel has to continue. And Paul doesn't die until his ministry is over. And so look at verse 10 now. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night, interesting, by night, but they sent him to Berea. And then it says, Paul and Silas, when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews again. I mean, he would always make a beeline to the synagogue. But they had to leave Thessalonica quickly at night, not wanting to bring, I believe, more persecution to the Christians or to jeopardize, listen, Jason's security deposit. It could have been a great sum. Paul only spent three weeks in Thessalonica, according to verse 2. It seems that he wished he could have taught them more. Later, he decides to teach them more in a written letter, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. And many believe Paul's first letter to the church of Thessalonica was the first epistle, the first letter to a congregation. I don't know. At Berea, though, Paul and Silas, again, just makes it a straight line to the local synagogue. I like that. They didn't go to the local bar. <laughs> they went to the synagogue. Whatever you're about, that's where you're going to go. Ber Berea was not a thriving city. We don't know much about her, but evidently it was a good seaport area. But I want you to see the type of people that were open to the gospel at Berea. In verse 11, these were more noble-minded or fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word of God with readiness and then they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether uh, these things were so. What Paul and Silas was teaching. Bereans, this is a very interesting uh, concept. They were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. Barnes, in his notes, one of my great commentaries that I love, says this. They were noble in mind. They were noble in heart. They really took heed to what the Holy Spirit was saying. Don't think, and this is important, that they were a better group of people. That they were the middle class or that they were the rich. Don't think that they were the pure blood, the bloodline or more educated, because a lot of people think that. Or they were from, as we hear, from the right side of the tracks, not the wrong side of the tracks. Remember, God is no respecter of persons. There's two keys here in Berea. Number one, they were ready to receive God's word. Number two, uh, they tested Paul and Silas by the word of God. That they were saying this Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. This Jesus of Nazareth is the Christos. Okay, so let's take it to the scriptures. And he has to draw, because the New Testament has not even been written yet, 
But the Old Testament is complete. And so Paul, in my mind, he would go into the synagogue and to prove who Christ was, he has to go to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 9, and he draws the birth of Christ. And then he has to go to Isaiah chapter 53, and he has to show the death of the Messiah. It's all in scriptures, and these these, uh, uh, Old Testament saints that were in these synagogues, these Jews, they knew the scriptures. So search the scriptures. That's what the uh, Bereans were doing. They searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. Besides Isaiah 53, I love Psalm 22, the suffering Savior. Uh, When I go through Isaiah 53, when I go through uh, Psalm 22, I cringe because how can the Jews not see it? It's plain as day, but they're blinded. Their hearts are callous. They wanted a Messiah that would rid them from uh, Roman rule. And this Messiah, Jesus, came to die on the cross for them. They couldn't see it. Uh, There's a scripture that's always floored me. If you're here, when we do the triumphal entry in Zechariah 9.9, Old Testament, that Jesus, the Messiah, would ride into Jerusalem in the cult of a donkey. And he did. Some scholars believe on the very exact date how can you deny these things the scripture says they they threw out palm branches and then a week later crucify him it just shows us the fickleness of man's heart Uh, but Paul is bringing forth the gospel but you have to appreciate if you want to mimic anything in scripture become a Berean they searched the scriptures daily they had a ready mind A ready soul, a ready heart. Lord, give me the Word of God. The Word of God is going to tell you everything that you need to know. Look at verse 12 now. Therefore, many of them believed there in Berea. And also, not a few of the Greeks, prominent women also as well as men. Why did they believe? I asked that question. They were convinced now that Jesus of Nazareth, whom Paul was preaching, was indeed the promise and the Messiah of the Old Testament Scriptures. Notice, many believed. Upper class women, and not a few Greeks, but many men and women came to salvation. If you were with us when we went through the book of Acts in chapter 10, Gentiles were given the opportunity to come to the salvation message. Up to that point, it was just for the Jews. Peter Abide by the law completely. God has to take him to Berea. He goes to Cornelius' house. There Cornelius, a captain of the Roman army, of the Italian band. And Peter goes on the top of the the rooftop, patio-type area. A great sheet comes down and shows Peter. What I have cleansed do not call common, Peter. And the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius' house. That was the beginning of the Gentiles. Not only on Cornelius' house, his family, his wife, but also his servants. And then, because he was a military man, those that were there from the military, they came to saving grace. So the gospel is wide open. That's what we've been teaching. 
In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, if you're taking notes, Peter said, of a truth, I receive God. I believe God not to be respecter of persons. I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Church, be careful when the teaching comes that God chose this group, but he didn't choose this group. I've seen it and I've heard it. Well, maybe I'm not elected. In John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's a universal call. I realize, and you realize, not everybody is going to come to saving grace, but everybody has the opportunity. And I tell you, sometimes we look at the outward appearance, the outward actions of somebody, and in our mind we say, no way. God can't possibly touch that man, touch that woman. The Bible says, is anything impossible with God? Some of you are here this morning, and I'm sure people gave up on you and said, nope, I know that person. <laughs> They're never going to come out of that sin nature, whatever it might be. But God gives you every opportunity. And so those at Thessalonica heard the gospel. Now those at Berea are hearing the gospel, and they're being moved by the Spirit. And it all began back for the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. But it all began with further back in Acts chapter 2 uh, with the Gentiles as the Holy Spirit came. And, and I'm going I'm to be very blunt with you. You come to Christ, the Holy Spirit falls upon you. You should never be the same after that. Nobody told me to stop selling drugs. Nobody told me to quit drinking. Nobody told me to quit cursing. The Holy Spirit takes that from you. Well, Pastor Bob, you're the pastor. That's why. No, no, I wasn't a pastor then. I was a sinful heathen just like you. And God saved me. God saved you. What is going on in Thessalonica just three weeks and now in Berea? All this is in preparation. Paul's going to Greece. Look at verse 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica uh, learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and they stirred up the crowd. These guys don't give up. Here comes the agitators again, the troublemakers again. They received word about Berea, 45 miles down the line. Exactly what was taking place in Thessalonica. The purpose that they arrived was to stir up the people in Berea as they did in Thessalonica. Plus they had an old score to settle with Paul and Silas. They, they escaped, remember? In a sense, Jason was small potatoes. We want Paul. We want Silas. Now again, up to this point, five cities Paul has been chased out of or beaten from. Pisidia of Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Thessalonica, and now Berea. Paul was run out of these cities. Angry mobs. Stirred up by envious Jewish leaders in these various cities. Again, church, these are the trials. And we have to count the cost in trials. I remember years ago when somebody had told a brother in Christ that just recently had come to the Lord, him and his wife, and, 
And the counselor was telling them, listen, everything's going to be great for you. And there's another counselor behind them going, no, not everything's going to be great. Sometimes that's when the things start happening because God is going to test you. Did you really make a commitment? And so the trials are going to be there. And don't tell somebody, come to Christ and, and it's going to be peaches and cream. He's going to give you everything you ask for. Be careful. I know Christians like that. Well, I'm a Christian now. God wants me rich. I'm a Christian now. God wants me uh, never to be sick. Well, two things. Take it to the colonias in Juarez and preach that message. You believe everybody's supposed to be healed? Go over here to Memorial General. Go over here to Mountain View. Go room to room. There's a lot of sick people. There's a lot of hurting people. And we're there to pray for them. We're there to comfort them. But not everybody is going to be healed. Healing can come through death. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Notice verse 14 and 15. We come to the conclusion. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away uh, to go to, to see. But both Silas and Timothy, they remained there. The Christians of Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and they understand what's going on now. They sent Paul away to Athens in the ministry. He's going to go uh, to Greece now. Fearing for his life, a total disruption uh, of his work there in Berea would be stopped. So Silas and Timothy remained. Paul desired to leave them behind. I believe to teach and to take care of the new Christians there in Berea. I believe that Paul was listening to the Holy Spirit. And he was being obedient. And I think that's the, hard, that's the hard one for us. I know when the Holy Spirit speaks to me, ministers to me, and generally it comes from his word, I better pay attention. If not, I'm going to get myself into a lot of trouble. And so Paul is learning to move with the Spirit. Look at verse 15. But those who conducted uh, Paul brought him to Athens. And receiving a command from Silas and Timothy uh, to come to him with all speed, they departed. I love this. These that were there in Berea. These men, a group, helped Paul escape. Got him as far as Athens, Greece. They went with him on the ship, and they left him there. And Paul sent word back with them. Send Silas and Timothy. Tell them to come quickly. We don't know the time span, but eventually they hooked back up with Paul. The fact that both Silas and Timothy remained in Berea showed again that Paul had a passion for planting churches not just making converts, but discipleship. It also showed that Paul did not believe that he alone could do the work of the teaching and strengthening of the Christian. Men and women like Silas and Paul, they could do the same work. Silas and Paul can do the same work. Now, listen to this last statement. I am the senior pastor here at Calvary Chapel. But we also have several men, we also have women that God has trained up and they can teach the Word of God. They can teach the Word of God. It's not just Pastor Bob. Listen, I'm going to be 68 years old this year. 
and I'm feeling great right now, and I'll keep preaching, I'll keep teaching, but how much time do I have left? I don't know. But when somebody else comes into the pulpit, they're going to teach the Word of God. Well, that's not Pastor Bob. That's not his style. But let me ask you, is the Word of God coming forth? That's the key. That's the key. I love that the Bereans sent Paul, capable Christian men, to care for him on his journey. I think that is important to the body of Christ. And in our church fellowship here for the last 30 plus years, so many Calvaries have come out of this church. So many pastors have come out of this church. People that are, have just been here studying with us like you are and have moved on to other cities and are part of ministries or start ministries. It's amazing to me. It's because you teach the word. You can't go wrong. When the word comes into you and the Holy Spirit is, is moving that word in your heart, conviction comes and he teaches you, he trains you. He raises you up. Some of you maybe never will leave, but you become effective at work. You become effective in your family. It's important, and it comes through the Word of God. Not sermons or sermonettes, but the teaching of the Word of God. We've taught the book of Acts many times. We're going to get into the, the book of Romans, powerful book. We're in the Old Testament right now. We've taught uh, Second. 2 Samuel before, but you draw from it what's going on around you in the world, and you make application. But the trials are going to be there. Understand that, church. It's not without trial. It's not without testing in your life. Let's all stand. We're going to end in a word of prayer, and then we're going to dismiss you. Pastor Cliff will be up here in the front, and then Angie will be up here. If you need prayer, you want to give your life to Christ, praise God. You want to rededicate that life or you need prayer for sickness, disease, infirmities, come on up and we want to pray for you. Uh, Father, bless your people as they've come, Lord. Minister to their every need. And Lord, we just thank you and praise you for the work you're doing in and through us, Lord. Chipping away that old man, chipping away uh, the old woman and bringing us to that place in Christ. And we're not finished until we get to go home to be with the Lord. And so, Father, bless your servants that have come to the teaching uh, of your word here this morning. Bless the offerings now, Lord. As you've uh, given to us, we give back a portion. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.